Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This Being Human. I'm your host, Abdurrahman Malik. On this podcast, I talk to extraordinary people from all over the world whose life, ideas, and art are shaped by Muslim culture. Your woman, your doctor, no one will disturb you. When you try to create a system, that's when you're going to have a problem. To understand today's guest, you first have to know her mother, Dr. Hawa Abdi. Glamour magazine once referred to Dr. Abdi as equal parts Mother Teresa and Rambo. Dr. Abdi was the first female gynecologist in Somalia. In the early 1980s, she opened up a rural women's clinic on her ancestral land outside Mogadishu. Over time, it grew into a 400-bed hospital. When the Civil War broke out in the 1990s, displaced people started going to her land to find safety. Before long, what started as a sanctuary basically became its own society, providing not just health care, but also education, food, and hope for a peaceful future. She called it Hope Village. By the year 2012, Hope Village claimed 90,000 residents. Dr. Abdi had survived standoffs with hostile militias, and she was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Her two daughters pitched in from an early age, helping to provide care and to keep the village running. Together, the three of them have been dubbed the Saints of Somalia. One of those remarkable daughters is Dr. Deko Mohammed. Dr. Hawa Abdi died in 2020, and along with her sister Amina, Deco became the inheritor of their mother's world-changing legacy. I wanted to talk to Deco about growing up in that incredible household, that incredible environment, what drove her mother to do the work she did, and what it's been like to try and fill such enormous shoes. I spoke to Dr. Deco from her home in Somaliland. Oh, Deco, where to start? Ever since I had the privilege of meeting you a few years ago, I always felt like your mother was present with you wherever you went, as you were advocating and speaking and organizing and inspiring. She might not have been there physically, but I felt like she was right there next to you. You and her were these warriors for peace ever together. For someone who might not know your mom, Dr. Hawa Abdi, tell us how we should know her and why she mattered so much. Oh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> She's a visionary. That's the main thing that perfectly will describe her. She will see the vision and she will move everyone around her to accomplish that vision. So that's the unique character my mom had and she never took a failure as an option so it will not work today she would do all her best to find a reroute detour whatever to get that vision 
I quit so many projects. I give up a lot of things, but my mom, she never give up. And she said, giving up is the failure. It's not the failing is the failure. It's just to give up is the failure. And she's so inspiring. Did you ever sort of identify what began your mother on this journey and this path? Was there a moment in her early life which kind of shaped this visionary, indefatigable commitment to other human beings, to justice and to serve with love? My mom... Her mother died in childbirth, on seventh child. And she took this commitment, I have to be a doctor. I need to save her mothers. And one thing she described, she was young, she was almost 12, going 13, going to early colonization time, and Italian was running the hospitals where she passed away, and their white coat and how they're elegant, how they're trying to save. She's like, I need to be a doctor. So she saw that vision and commitment and she became a doctor. Being a female doctor in that time and place wasn't easy. In 1978, a bad work experience changed the course of her life. A patient of hers died and she was blamed, even though she wasn't on shift when it happened. She was arrested a day, the next day they did investigation, they figured out she already checked out, someone else took over on the shift and he haven't followed up properly. Then she goes out from the jail and she decides to become a lawyer. She's like, I wanna be in a justice and make sure, and she becomes a lawyer. She takes a pose, she gave me a birth, she takes a pose for another four years, then my sister was, she gave birth after she graduated from law school. So that's who my mother is. And in her childhood, they didn't have a home. So all her inheritance were took away from her mother's family. And her father didn't have enough money, enough food. They struggled. And when she became a doctor, she said, I'll buy enough land so no one can took away from me. And that was from Allah's will. She put so much land. She rebought all her mother's inherited land, which later on became this village. And when she was buying all this land, she wasn't envisioning the country would fall apart and this land would become a heaven for millions of, of people. But she put in her mind, like, I'll buy that much land, like no one will kick me out and my children and my grandchildren will not have a home. They will not be homeless. So that's how she was committed. She was a doer. She was not a talker. And when you talk and try to explain so many things, she's like, you wasting a time. Go, let's do things. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I've read elsewhere, Deco, that your beloved mother, Dr. Hawa, was often called and known by the people who were served by her, who engaged with her, who knew her as Mama Hawa. Yes. She was kind of this motherly figure. Absolutely. To tens of thousands more people. So I have to ask you, how was it like growing up with a mother like this, who you probably sensed very early was mama to a lot of, lot of people. And we were literally, literally jealous. And we kept telling you, you love other people than us. You're always away. You're not with us. You know, we never had enough family meals. You love them more than us. So that's when we were rebelling and teenagers. <laughs> it's like, oh, go ahead, go to your people. You love them more. <laughs> Oh, wait, we're so cruel as teenagers, aren't we? We're so, we, we just throw it right back. What was your mother's response to that? 
My mom was very open. We had very democratic house. So we, she used to push us to talk and then share ideas and everything. But in the final, it will be her words. And then sometimes we get frustrated and we say, mom, why are you asking all this question when it's going to be your way? And she said, it's like, I'm teaching the process of choosing your ideas. <laughs> I love that. What a remarkable parenting lesson. It was hard. When I grew up, I understood that. But when you're young, a teenager, it's very hard. And sometimes she will teach us the process of explaining things in a legal way. And my dad will say, oh, Dr. Howe, you never had time to practice the law. Now you're practicing on your children and your village. My mom never practiced the law. She just learned. <laughs> and every time she comes up with argument as a lawyer, my dad will say, okay, now she's becoming a lawyer, practicing on her missing law. <laughs> So she was amazing, really. And it was very frustrating to be around her because she was very strong. She was very committed. And sometimes it was hard for her to explain her vision. We just had to follow her. Right. She was always expecting more. Whatever we do, it's not enough because we have a roof. We never starve. We never lose a house. You will have a list of blessing we have when we try to be, you know, whining and they say, oh, mom, we're doing too much. We, I used to care about the breakfast of thousands of people. My role was making sure everyone get food in the morning. Wow. The afternoon, my job was to make sure the stock of the pharmacy is in a place. If it's not, if something's missing, I used to call ICRC, all this organization to make sure we have medical supplies. So you as a teenager were coordinating that? 15 years old. I was 15 years old when war happened. That's incredible. And my mom would say, that's nothing. My mom died when I was 12. If I took care of all my siblings, you're not doing anything. Your mom and dad here, we ju you're just, what, you're making a phone call and counting couple supplies? That is nothing. <laughs> she set up a higher standard and we had a list of blessings we have. Always she used to remind us, you have a food, you have a house, you have the parents, no complaint. Deco, I, I know I know you've mentioned elsewhere how you originally had no desire to go into medicine. That you know, when you're 15 and 16 and you're talking to the International Committee of the Red Cross and Red Crescent and you're coordinating pharmacies and you're making sure thousands of people are fed, I can imagine, you know, someone like that saying, Man, I'd love a life as a historian, or I'd I'd love I'd love a life teaching literature. But you you didn't become a historian and you didn't become a professor of literature. You became a doctor. What was that turning point for you where the work that you were experiencing in your home under the leadership of your mother, you decided to make that your calling? I think I knew my mom would push me to become a doctor. So I loved to be historian or academician when I was even in high school. So I was like beginning of my high school years. I say, mom, I don't want to be a doctor. And it's like, make sure you get your science grades well. A plus you, you're going to medical school. And I say, no, I don't. So that's the conversation we had. But Deco did end up in medical school. She got her degree in Russia and did a postgraduate program in the United States. And through those years, she learned a lot about herself. I learned I'm a traveler. I enjoy being around people. I love the world. I love what I do. And looking back, the work my mom did and doing and what I did, it's like, that's where I belong to. 
You know, uh, the Hope Village, which your mother created, has been spoken about and, and celebrated all over the world, even earned her a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize. If I was to walk into the Hope Village at its peak, what would it have looked like? Oh, you will wake up with a busy, overcrowded village, a small village where it has so much like a government. When I walked back in 2007, I told my mom, this is a whole government because we have a small coffee, we have the school, we have the storage where is a jail. In the same time, we have a couple trees where is the committee and the town hall where elderly will sit and discuss the issue. It's a whole ecosystem she created, not even thinking about it. And the beauty of her law degree and her vision she appointed everyone somewhere. And I said, like, mom, you have all ministries and deputies and, and you know, directors and everything. And they're just a committee and they're part of community. And you have young people who are passionate, taking care of the safety of the village and making sure if someone new comes in, what they're doing, how they're doing. And the beauty of everyone following. And I asked my mom, like, how this happened? For me, 10 years being in Russia and five years in the U.S. helped me to understand and see my own village differently because I was away so much. When I came back, the system is in a place. And mom, how this happened? And she's like, oh, clan and clan elderly are insurance. So here they have housing, they have a water, they have a health care, they have education. They don't need to be dependent on, on a clan or clan elderly, or group of people who will abuse them, their power. What a remarkable picture you paint. There must have been those who didn't want the village to exist, right? Absolutely. That's why we had to relocate people. We had to move. We had to go bigger because Al-Shabaab attacked us eight times. They cut half of the land. They had excuse because you're all women running we struggled for the last 15 years before even my mom died, until last years of my mom's death, which is very sad to me. And it's a whole country. The other thing on top of all that, my mom is beloved and mother to a lot of nations, but in a clan division and classes are rooted in our community. And my mom was not in a strong clan. She was in minority. And she achieved all that because of hard work. And she will always say, your work is bigger than your name. We struggled to survive. We are well known within the country, but in the government side, we had a problem. With Al-Shabaab, we had a problem. With a lot of community leaders, we had a problem. But my mom still was a peacemaker and solving issues and everything. But it put my life and my sister's life and my mother's life in, in danger for being on growing that big and having well known in internationally and nationally. And my mom's like, let's focus on healthcare. Let's focus what we're good at it. When you have a peace, you will carry that vision, I know. And those children who grew up and those people who still live around the village and in a part of the village, they consider themselves how of the village, hope village, mama house children. She inspired a generation. The beauty she created for us is those young children who's not young today, they're in 30s, 40s, they respect a woman leader. Right. What does Hope Village look like today, nearly three years after your, 
your mom's passing. What's the current situation there? It's not good. It's become a war zone. So we saved most of the people. Al-Shabaab is the area. The government still have the fight with Al-Shabaab. It's still not safe. We tried to rebuild the border and it didn't work. Al-Shabaab refused. Still, they have part of the land where 400 families were in, in housing there. Al-Shabaab took away. So 400 families become homeless in one second. And until Shoab go away, that village is not functioning yet. Only the hospital and the school are functioning. Are you able to go back? Are you able to visit the hospital and the school under the current circumstances? I do go very short time, but we try to be safe. We hire a lot of doctors. They work in there. The school is running by itself. We have another hospital in Mogadishu. We have some in Somaliland. So my sister in Mogadishu and I'm in Somaliland, but we still oversee the village until the Shabab go away. And it's very sad for last years of our life, building all this village and seeing it crumbling. And then my mom, she was, again, it's visionary. She said, you're going to build better than what I do. I know that. But you have your life. You're still young. Take care of your children, run other hospitals, focus on healthcare. Because it's, healthcare is more safer. Your woman, your doctor, no one will disturb you. But when you try to create a system, that's when you're going to have a problem. Because what we were, my mom is doing is she's creating a state within the state. The vision is audacious. It is. Tell us a little bit about the Hargala Institute, because it feels like it's something that's evolving and growing and really vital and fascinating. That was the last piece I think we're missing in the village and overall in the country. So we had the conversation, Hagarla, my mom named it. So I was like, mom, I want to have this institute. We don't have any articles. We don't do any research. You know, the work she has done for the last 30 years, if we had a proper documentation, we could write like a million articles on how she treated, how she saved mental care, mental health care, you know, lack of medication. And still she tried to heal a lot and treat a lot of people. I wish we had a system in a place that recorded well. Because of the war, it was not possible. Because of the lack of finance, it was not possible to record the whole work she did. Right. And the Hagarla is coming in as an institute trying to record, maybe even grow bigger, maybe future become a university. But for now is to record all that documentation. To understand, we're doing mobile clinic. That's where my mom started. So we have two mobile clinics. We go into the villages and understanding what is the need of healthcare. Because she started tailoring healthcare by community. So when she goes outside for a mobile clinic, different villages, she understands that village need and their common diseases. It's not copy-cut paste like NGOs International are doing. And that's a very unique way to look in healthcare. And that's what Hagarla is doing. We visited over 10 villages for now. We're going back. We're very closely working with four villages. We want to understand what is their needs. Can we train people locally? Can we inspire as a hope village people to take ownership on their healthcare? The role overall in Hagala is to shift the policy and to bring the policy in and to have a better healthcare system in Somalia where village tailored, that's 
taking my mom's vision and making sure each village is independent. Three years ago, Dr. Hawa died at the age of 73. It has been very difficult. The sad part is seeing her life work. Just a couple of stupid guys is stopping. You know, that was the saddest part. It's not only her death. I wish she could see her village more flourishing before her she passed away. But it was even sad. We couldn't even bury her there because that was her request, and we had to bear her other land in outside of Mugdisho, because they refused. And the government could not do anything, and then you feel so hopeless. But the people we supported, keeping us a hope, giving us a hope, you know, they are the one who's keeping hope alive. My mom kept her small village in peace for the last 30 years. Mm. When you see the character of my mom, I could see embedded in each Somali woman because they're very strong, they're very committed, they take care, they die for their family, they take care of their children, they look the brighter side of their children. They love unconditionally for their community. My mom knew everyone in our village, you know, even with 90,000 people, she know literally most of people by their name and it's like, who was this one? <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible. Deco, you've talked about your own kids. How old are your kids? I have six of them, four teenagers and two toddlers. Mashallah. That's incredible. So, Deco, you got to tell me, you were the daughter of your mother. You were forged and trained and shaped, right, in the heart of the struggle. And so I have to ask you, how do your kids see you knowing how you saw your mom and do you think your kids are going to follow in your footsteps in their grandmother's footsteps probably their grandmothers my teenagers they don't know me as a mom because my mom supported me because some three of them my cousin is who died for cancer children so it was a community raised so i don't think my elderly one are belonging to me they belong to how up the community <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's different. And I hope I'm giving freedom, whatever they want to do, I will not force them. And that really sometimes backfired me because my older daughter, she still didn't decide. She kept changing her major. She's in Turkey. My two girls, they still studying the university. And it's like, I wish I was my mom. <laughs> because I'm agreeing with everything. They come up with teenagers and it's like, oh my God, I wish I could have my mom's character and I'd say, no, you're becoming this and you're finishing. <laughs> and that will help you because you set goal. And now we have plan A, plan B. Now I don't know where we ended up. B, Q, R, S, C, I think <laughs> end of alphabet. <laughs> it's very hard. It's very hard to raise a kids. And I'm so happy my mom was with me. They really grew up in our household. And my mom raised them while I'm traveling and doing this and that. And they will be different. They have freedom. So my teenager son were adopted. He was 10 years old. He was a child soldier. And it was difficult for him to go to school 
So I tried, I pushed, I pushed, and I let it go. And he went to some technical, and he's good in trading. So he go into the business. He get married. I'm grandmother. I have now two grandchildren. <laughs> That's amazing, Deco. He is twenty, and he has two kids. So I let him go. And my mom's like, "You spoil him." I say, "Mom, I cannot force him. This kid, he lost his parents when he was three, and someone raised him, and he joined the Al Shabab, then military, and at age of ten, he knew all kind of military women." And to shape that kid and force him to graduate, and it's like, no, I'm not. I tried to support him in the beginning before I adopted because I had daughters in the house. I was afraid to bring in this child soldier with my little girls. And it's like I found someone to take care of him, and I was paying, and he was going back to the military. And my husband's like, he needs home, doesn't need your money. And that's very important. Bringing him home and making part of our home, it transformed him. As a human being, he become better human being. Deco, every time I speak to you and we have a chance to meet, I learn something more. And I won't lie to you,、uh, I'm in awe. Mashallah, everything that you do to carry your mother's legacy, to do this work of creating knowledge and understanding. And then six kids on top of that, and two grandchildren. Where do you draw the energy? Where do you draw the spiritual support to make all this amazing work happen? I don't see that way. I'm just like part of my life. I do. Is when you say that, when you put to that way, it's life happens. And I, when in this city I am in Burao, where is my actually my grandfather is from here in Somaliland. And when I opened the clinic before I went to the Embra, it has a spiritual also connection. And I had an old elderly woman who was sick for so long, but she was very shy by culture. She couldn't talk to the male doctors. Her UTI, her problem. She had a uterine prolapse, so she had fourteen kids. Her uterus was littered outside. She was carrying this her uterus outside with all the pain for over ten years because she was shy to show a man or to share a man. And seeing her, and we did the operation, we did hysterectomy, and the way she cried, the way she said, "If you were not a woman, I will die. I will have this problem rest of my life." She was in her mid seventies. That inspires me. Just to be in a woman and and giving opportunity to her to speak, we help her to transform her life. And when you see patient like that, it's like it's inspiring. It moves you. So that's the country, and that's what inspires me. Really, my patient, my son, and my mom. Tell us about a joy or a meanness that came to you as an unexpected visitor. I was going to Umrah in Hajj, and Umrah. I mean, I'm going to Umrah Medina and Makkah, and I, I love history. And I hear so much Sira, where I was a child in candy store when I was in Medina. It's like, oh, this is where they went. This is what I was jumping. I was reading. I was excited. And all the group I was with, like, what's wrong with you? And it's like. I'm walking where this walked. I'm walking where Umar bin Khadab. I was like so enjoy, 
and everyone was laughing. Ten days we were in Medina. I couldn't even sleep for excitement because I was living in a history. Dr. Deco Mohammed, you are an inspiration. Thank you so much for being with me on this being human. Thank you so much for making me human. Thank you for listening to This Being Human. Look in the show notes for links to learn more about Dr. Deco Muhammad's work. This Being Human is produced by Antica Productions in partnership with TVO. Our senior producer is Kevin Sexton. Our associate producer is Haley Choi. Our executive producer is Laura Verguer. Stuart Cox is the president of Antica Productions. Mixing and sound design by Phil Wilson. Our associate audio editor is Cameron McIver. Original music by Boombox Sound. Shagoyeg Tajvidi is TVO's managing editor of digital video and podcasts. Lori Few is the executive for digital at TVO. This Being Human is generously supported by the Aga Khan Museum. Through the arts, the Aga Khan Museum sparks wonder, curiosity, and understanding of Muslim cultures and their connection with other cultures. The museum wishes to thank the Hillary and Galen Weston Foundation for their generous support of This Being Human.